Welcome back to the Nick Finzer Audio Experience. Today, we are talking about many things. Who transcribes trombonus? How to keep your body and mind fresh? Finding the changes while you're playing a solo. Of course, this is an uh, archive copy issue uh, podcast of one of the Ask Nick episodes. This is number 64 from uh, a little while ago, kind of jumping into some topics we haven't talked about in a while. So I'm excited to be able to share those with you here on the podcast. And as always, thanks for listening. If you can head on over to wherever you're listening to this from and leave us a review, Uh, leave me some comments, leave me your thoughts. What do you want to hear on this podcast? Obviously we do a variety of things from music to chatting to uh, some of these Q and A's and, and interviews and all kinds of things. But um, I'm excited for you to hear this episode and, uh, I hope that you're getting ready to have a great summer. I'm uh, starting to plan things for summer 2022, and I hope you are too. And uh, we'll talk soon. So enjoy this episode, and we'll catch you on the next one. And if you saw and you're on Facebook or YouTube or Twitch, you'll probably see the link down below in the comments to our Jazz Trombone Boot Camp. That's going to be June 14th through 18th. So I hope that we can uh, get you to come to the Jazz Trombone Boot Camp. We're going to spend a week talking all things jazz trombone. We're going to spend uh, some time with some amazing guest artists. We're going to talk with Michael Davis, Steve Davis, Andre Hayward, Vincent Gardner. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have two great assistants, uh, really great young players, Jack Courtright being one and uh, D- DJ Rice being another. They're both uh, finalists in the J.J. Johnson uh, ITA competition, so you know that they're great uh, as verified by the ITF. So Jazz Trombone Bootcamp, June 14th through 18th, and we got the Jazz Language Masterclass on April 26th. If you want to join, we'd love to have you, of course. It says, do non-trombonists ever transcribe trombonists? Ooh, loaded question. I mean, I think the answer is probably no. I would say that's sad. It's just reality that they think that uh, other instruments might get them more benefit. I don't know. But I think that there's a lot to learn from the clarity of J.J. Johnson or Curtis Fuller or, you know, just that that like melodic clarity. I think that there's a lot, you know, there's a reason like trombonists are great arrangers like Slide Hampton, like J.J., you know, there's like something about playing the instrument, I think, and something about like being in the middle of the big band and that there's like a musical thing that you just can't get quite, quite without um, being being aware of it and kind of like transcribing trombonists like there's a certain level of melodic clarity like think about like bob brookmeyer for example like his melodies are so interesting think you know even throughout the range of his career not not even just like at the end where he was composing more stuff that was maybe more abstract there was like so many tunes he played with clark terry you know all that whole time so you know, there's a lot to be learned from trombonists, whether they're valve or slide trombonists. I think it doesn't matter that much. It's still a trombone in my book anyway. So I don't know. I think probably not, but I think that they should. All right. In the theme of book giveaways, what's been a recent read that you feel impacted by? Man, this is super nerdy, but I read this book called Fooled by Randomness, and it's by uh, Nassim Nicholas Taleb is the guy's name. He's an investor in New York. And it talks about stats, like statistics, and it talks about probability and talks about like applying it to the real world. Um, so it, that's been pretty interesting. It's very, very nerdy, though. So <laughs> if you're like me, then you might enjoy this nerdy book. I've really liked that. And then to double down on my nerdiness, the uh, 
the next book I just started reading is, um, well, there's another one that I read called um, uh, The Obstacle is the Way, which has been really helpful. Um, Brian Holiday is the author. I like that book a lot. I've been also listening to books like on Audible. So I've been, I listened to that one. Um, question, do you know any trombonists who don't like JJ? There's probably some. I would say that some people probably say he's too safe or he's too um, predictable maybe. Um, and those things might be true, but you're allowed to not like people. There's people I don't really care for. You know, they're, they're playing, I mean, like they're not my favorite, but you can't be everyone's favorite. And I'm sure there's people that don't like my playing. So, you know, it's cool. It's all good. A jazz genie grants you three wishes. You can meet anyone, play in any band, attend any concert, etc. What do you wish? Assume normal genie rules, no wishing for more, but you can time travel. This is a well thought out question, Jack. Uh, I think the first one is pretty obvious. I've always wanted to play with, um, maybe it's not super obvious, but I would have wanted to be in the jazz tet with uh, Benny Golson, play that music and play in that style. And at that time, so I would time travel to the late 50s and 60s. And I think I would try to, I would want to play with, um, I think I would want to play like with Wayne's band, with Freddie, with Herbie and Tony and Ron, like that, like speak no evil kind of era. And then also um, Art Blakey, 100% Art Blakey. Those would be the like three bands that I would um, want to play with. Oh, attend a concert. I wish I could have gone to the Newport concert. Now, see, I've already ruined the genie rules already. My other wishes would be to see that Newport concert of the Ellington band. Uh, that would I would also want to play in the Ellington band. But so now, if I need to go back and actually refine my question, my three: Art Blakey, Duke Ellington, and uh, I would go with that Wayne Shorter band because that would cover a lot of the the people like Herbie and Ron and Tony that I'd want to play with, and Duke Ellington. Yeah, there you go. Try to cover all the bases with as few as bands as possible, right? Most most efficient way to hit as many uh, of my heroes as possible. What kind of things do you do outside of the trombone to keep your body and mind fresh for peak musical performance? So a couple things. I like to run. I do like to run. Last year, I was doing more running than I have been recently. But I've wanted to do a marathon for a long time, but I have not signed up for one yet. Um, but I did sign up for a 10K, but got canceled because of COVID. And so I rescheduled for mid-May. So we run that 10K. It's a trail run 10K in mid-May, so I'm going to do that. There's a half marathon on May 1st that I'm thinking about running. You know, one of our other colleagues in the um, UNT Trombone Studio brought this up before his recital once, and, he, and there's this guy named Wim Hof. It's, uh, he does this breathing method. Um, it's really super interesting. I don't know if I, find, if I think it's like 100% effective or anything like that, but he has kind of like a breathing protocol that's pretty interesting and pretty effective, I think. So those two things kind of for personal well-being. I've been journaling and writing, trying to write and journal and do those sorts of things. Um, but I've realized at a certain point for me, I've come up to a time in my life where I can't take on more things. <laughs> There's like a lot of habits that I want to have, you know but it's hard. You can't do them all. During the pandemic, I got uh, a Peloton bike. So do the Peloton. There was a while when um, living in New York that I used to go to um, a lot of cycling classes at Equinox, the gym. And I was into that for a while, especially during the winter in New York when it was really cold, couldn't run. So um, I don't know, reinvigorated by that, something different. 
that breathing thing is pretty it's pretty crazy man like i have his app i bought his app and it has like a guided breathing thing it's kind of like a meditation it's kind of just breathing but like it really activates your body in an interesting way because i had read the book going back to luke's question it's called the Iceman, i think is the book and so it's interesting i don't know i mean there's a lot he has a lot of scientific data to back up what he claims um do i i don't know if it really is true or not but it's really interesting i think and um a lot of a lot of ties to playing the trombone with like thinking so much about the breath you know uh okay yeah maybe it's full of pseudoscience yeah that's what i'm saying like i, I don't know like i'm not a scientist i think it's interesting and i think it definitely does have um some physiological effect like you feel certain things but i think it's interesting um I like taking some time to just breathe. That can be, it's just, uh, it's helpful. You know, you could do the same thing, just meditating, of course. But uh, it says, do you ever use soloists to figure out changes? For example, if they play a sharp five a lot over a chord, but the piano isn't playing a sharp five and the melody doesn't have a sharp five, do you think the chord has a sharp five? I think I wouldn't necessarily think that the, the soloist is determining the changes. Um, they can imply certain things and like, if they do it over and over again, but if the pianist is never doing it, if any comping instrument, like over multiple choruses, I would assume they're just coloring it in the way that they want to, you know? I mean, I will do that. Like a good example is um, my tune, just so you can go find it really quick, is uh, We the People, my tune. Uh, if you go find it on the record um, here and now, you listen to it, it's, it is a minor blues in the C sharp minor or D flat minor, and there's a play where I just start playing in B flat major. Because why is because I feel like it just sounds really strident against the D flat minor because it has the major third and the flat nine and just like weird notes. Like the chord is C sharp minor and I'm playing de, like D B flat C F D C D D B flat C and so it's kind of like how why does that work I don't know it works because it sounds weird sometimes and um, so I would not always get the information. There's a lot of times, for example, in Shrub 5 in particular, there's times when JJ plays like an augmented whole tone kind of sound, and the change is not necessarily augmented whole tone kind of sound. So I wouldn't necessarily say that any soloist interpretation is the changes, which kind of leads me to back to something that I've talked about before that I'll bring up again, that is like that something that really affected me, and this was in my improv class in, ma in my master's program, was um, Ben Wolf, great bass player. He talked about that there's no such thing as the changes. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. There's just the counterpoint between the melody and the bass line. And then everything else has like almost an infinite amount of, maybe not infinite, but there's a lot of ways to get from point A to point B with the melody and the bass line and that counterpoint. So um, when I've, when you start thinking in that way, it opens up a lot of harmonic possibilities. It opens up, you know, like, yeah, maybe you could play a sharp five there, but you could also play something else you know it's not one or the other it's like a yes and situation you know it's both i definitely would use the melody though if if something is in the melody there's a pretty good chance that the chord change is um related to that quarantine has turned life into a repetitive cycle for most of us myself included how have you tried to break that repetitive cycle nah man i'm with you it's been the same cycle i've been talking about this uh at home you know just kind of feel like man it's like every week is the same you know and it, it's grinding, especially when you're used to doing something different all the time. You know, as a freelance musician, you know, touring musician, you're like moving all around. You're moving all the time. It's like you don't you're not used to just sitting in one place. So um, for me, uh, I've definitely tried to make sure I'm making progress on these kind of like long term projects. Like I'm writing a book or I'm writing I'm writing like a real book, like with words, not just a music book. I'm working on a duet book as well, but um, 
just try to take the time to like make sure I do those things because otherwise it's just like a freaking blur. I feel like I just released my record cast of characters in February of 2020 and then everything changed. Nothing is, ha it's like both tons of stuff has happened and almost nothing has happened. Everything is like almost exactly the same, you know, in the micro, you know, in the day to day. I mean, obviously we've been at school at least and been, been able to, you know, still have lessons and YouTubes and big band and do some stuff, you know, which has been good to have some stuff to do. But I think that there's, I think it's a really interesting phenomenon that the more different stuff you do, that time seems to move at a different speed. I mean, that's like a different, that's like kind of uh, philosophical, but like the, I read, definitely read somewhere that like the more unique memories you make, it, your perception of time is different. You know, your perception of time moving is different, you know, and your and so the, the more unique memories you can make, the more, the longer your life seems, you know, and I could say like, yeah, when I've been busy touring, that year seems a lot longer because you're invested and interested in every day rather than like in this like quarantine life or whatever you want to call it. Like, it's just like every week almost seems like it's the same. And then you start measuring in weeks and then you start measuring in months and it feels like everything's the same and you don't have any unique memories. You can't place things on a timeline anymore. So trying to make, you know, unique experiences. So that's why sometimes I just like make myself do stuff like live streams or like last night did a masterclass, right? So just to like, okay, I got to do something different so that it feels like it's different this week than last week, you know? As how often do you transcribe? How long does it take to finish, including learning? So as you can send it, learning it on the horn and finally writing it down. It really depends on what it is. There's no like hard and fast answer to that, unfortunately. Um, I'm much faster transcribing. I mean, it really depends what it is because if it's fast, hard to hear, really like because of the recording, you know, it's hard to uh, say exactly how long it would take, but it takes a lot less time than it used to. I can tell you that. I wouldn't worry about how long it takes, um, but how often do I transcribe? Not as often as I should anymore. I haven't transcribed anything new in a while, to be honest. You know, you get caught up in... Um, helping students with their stuff and doing your own stuff and sometimes it comes by the wayside but I know what the last thing I transcribed was it was last summer was a Kenny Garrett solo uh, on sing a song of songs because I, I released I made a video of that arrangement and then we ended up doing it with YouTubes and playing it for the um, jazz trombone day and so we did that but uh, I I was transcribing I transcribed Kenny Garrett's solo on that and there's a lot of interesting things that I pulled out of it too. Uh, some different ways to find the pentatonic scale that I hadn't thought about before. And he has a way of playing a like a, a hexatonic scale. This is me getting a little nerdy, I suppose. But a hexatonic scale of two triads, so like E and F at the same time. So E, F, G sharp, A, B, C. And then uh, sometimes, sometimes you would have him, he would play D sharp sometimes, E, F, which is maybe uh, not a hexatonic anymore, but just taking those first two turning them into a scale, but then also this other scale of like E, F, G sharp, A, B, C, D sharp, E, F again. So that's kind of weird scale. Which mouthpiece do you play on? Um, I play on a Marcinkowitz 6ES. Um, so yeah, they, they, allow, they let me actually sell them. So if you want one, go to nickfinzer.store and you can find a mouthpiece. It's bigger than it seems. And it's, people always think that it's shallow, but it's not it just it's an optical illusion but it is lightweight which is what i like because i played for a long time on like a deep like shoki 51d 
I mean, I played on this mouthpiece since college, so I've been playing this uh, Mersinkowitz for a long time. But um, before that, yeah, the the Shoki and some other heavyweight mouthpieces, and it really uh, wasn't the vibe. The clarity of articulation is too hard, and so I like the lightweight mouthpiece. When you're transcribing, what helps you the most in matching someone's swing feel? I mean, it's going to sound stupid, but I listen to how it sounds, you know? Like, how does it flow? Is it da-da-da-da-da, or is it do-ba-do-da-da, or da-ba-da-ba-da, or... Is it super straight? Is it really triple D? Is it really dotted A sixteenth E? And it might change from phrase to phrase, you know. But it, like Curtis is a great example of like he'll play you know something like this. He'll go back and forth in the way it feels. So I don't know. You play it how it sounds. So don't worry about what it is. I think maybe that's the answer. Is that you can't worry about what it is rhythmically, and just worry about what it sounds like, you know, and just make it sound like it sounds. Try to uh, just match, like record yourself along with it. See if you're actually playing it, you know. Do you think perfect pitch is attainable? Some people say it is, but I can't say because I've had it for as long as I can remember. I think it is if you really, really want to have it. You can um, remember pitches because the way that people describe it to me, and maybe, Demetrius, you can speak to this, is that it sounds like a memory. Like when you hear it, you just know what it is because you remember. Like it sounds like, just like that's yellow. Like you're like, oh, that's an A. Like you just know because you recognize it, right? So it's the same way because as, as I've developed, you can recognize certain chords. Like I'm like, oh yeah, that's that's an E flat seven chord with a G triad over the top. It has a certain sound. Certain different sounds like stick out in your head as like a memory. Like you remember them in conjunction with something else. Maybe like a, how it sounds on a recording or on a tune you played before. Uh, but I think it is possible to, to develop it at Juilliard every class uh, in our oral skills class, oral skills training, they would have a sing an A. I don't know if I can do it. I don't have a, I think it's la, but I don't know. I don't have a pitch reference. My keyboard's not on, but um, we had to do that every class. So then once you got one note, then you can kind of go from there. I never, I don't think I have. I don't think I was close. We had to do it and they had to sing a la. So every day they'd be like, sing a la, sing a la, sing a la. And then they would play it and be like, okay, gah. And so it was like developing a memory. So I think it's just like a muscle memory, just like anything else. So it can be developed. Don't buy any of these courses. I see people that are advertising like these courses, you know. Just be wary of people trying to do stuff like that. You never know what they're doing. Robert says that was an A. Maybe it was an A. Maybe it was close. And how have your music tastes changed over time? Is there music you liked in high school that you don't like anymore? Is there music you didn't like in high school that you like now? Yes, I think that that's definitely true. I was, you know, I think when you're younger, you're more into flashy stuff. Um, I'm more into like subtle things now. Like I like when something is subtly interesting and i try to write tunes that maybe have these hidden kind of subtleties to them and that's something that i value in music is being subtle and being slick and being uh adventurous and um you know there's some free music that i like now that i didn't used to like um i mean there's stuff i've always liked but you know i'm i used to be a big into the big like the jam band kind of vibe scene brass bands and stuff when i was in high school i'm not super into it now I think it's fun, but I just I think that there's other music that's more creatively interesting. It's not that I don't like it necessarily, but I would say that it's just like not a focus of what I listen to. Um, but any of that, any like Soul Live, uh, Medeski Martin Wood, I had a Schofield phase for a while. I mean, I still like these people. It's not that I don't like their music. I'm just saying like I had phases with them, and you know I had a super deep phase with like Redmond, Josh Redmond's um, Elastic Band. And then, uh, you know, you just kind of move on to different areas of listening. So 
What are good exercises for connecting chord changes? Playing the voice leading, number one. But when I say play the voice leading, I mean not just third to seventh, third to seventh, but like how do I connect these chords together from any note? So let's just take a two, five, one and E flat, F minor seven, B flat seven to, to E flat major, right? So you could play A flat, and then you could play A flat again on the B flat seven, you could resolve it to G. Or you could play E flat, the seventh of the two chord, and then it would also, uh, you'd move it down a half step to B to D natural on the five chord, and then that would carry over into the one chord as D natural, or you could even play a C, right? So you can kind of create voice leading um, through the changes. But at the same time, you could also play G on the F minor. You could play F sharp on B flat and make it sharp five or flat 13, and then you could resolve to F. So going beyond the normal ways, so what I like to do is sit at the piano and just find different pathways through the changes um, that show us the voice leading uh, and that show us the sound of the changes without only playing the same thing that everyone's been told. So the next exercise is to walk bass lines. So maybe you don't need to think about, oh, this needs to be a bass line, but like you need to be able to play quarter notes directly through the changes. That's how I think about it. Uh, playing quarter notes all the way through. So maybe it sounds like a bass line, but it doesn't have to have the same effect as a bass line. You don't got to stay in the low register all the time. That's what I'm getting at. Um, so you create lines that are based on quarter notes that kind of connect the changes together. And once you can do it on a consistent basis with quarter notes, then you can start doing it with eighth notes. So those are that's my process there for connecting chord changes. Um, and then to connect them together is like, you want to play in one direction through the whole way. So if we go back to our example, and I play play up from F, G, A flat, F, G, A flat, B flat, and then um, we're on B flat seven after four quarter notes. So then I got to go, okay, now D, F, A flat, B flat, and then I can go C, D, E flat, F, E flat, and then I've played a two f connected ascending up to um, that chord, that E flat major from the bottom of the instrument and it's gone in one direction through the changes. Uh, so that's what I mean when I talk about connecting the changes. So hopefully that helps. Are there any classical musicians, composers you've deep dive into? Uh, probably not as much as I could really claim anything knowledgeable about. Bach maybe would be the biggest one. I've always been fascinated by um, Stravinsky, all the, all the normal ones, you know. I thought oh, like people that explore different harmonies like, you know, Ravel and, and and things of that nature, but not really. I would say I need to do a better job. Bartok, that stuff is super interesting. I find it really hard to relate into um, like wanting to be so specific about how a piece sounds every time. That's kind of like my problem, I guess. Maybe it's not a problem, I don't know, but it's like, it's a, something that I think about. Like if I was gonna write something in that for, for a classical situation, like I'm like, oh, but I don't want it to be the same every time that people play it. I want them to put their own stuff on it. And a lot of times that doesn't happen. There's like a reference recording and you try to make it sound like that, you know. If you're trying out new equipment, what do you look for regarding feel, sound, et cetera? What kind of exercises do you have? New horns or mouthpieces? I'm not the best person for this. I'm guilty of not like playing the same thing every time I pick up a horn. But I will say this. When I got my first horn after college, I focused on how it felt to play and I wanted it to feel easy to play at that time I felt like it's too much work I need to find a way to play with less work and I want it I was playing so I was playing a Yamaha I wanted to get an Edwards and I got an Edwards and I wanted it to feel like the Yamaha but easier and so I got the I got that 
and then I played that, and then I got frustrated with the with the Edwards because it was easier to play perhaps, but it didn't have the sound that I wanted. And so now I have a trombone where I'm kind of in the middle, right? Like it's sort of, it's pretty much easy to play and it sort of has the sound that I want and it can get the sound I want, but sometimes it doesn't get the sound I want. But I usually blame myself for that. Rather than, I don't really blame the horn or the equipment for things. Generally speaking, I go for the sound, man, just the sound. And if the sound feels like it's what I'm looking for at this point, you know, I think that that depends on how you view like equipment. I think that some people like to buy equipment to have a tool for each job. And in that case, you want that you want it to be easy and sound how you want it to sound for for a job, right? Like you want a small board to do this, you want a medium board to do this, you want a large board to do this. I don't like switching, so I want something that can do it all, which is a little harder to find and and is more about how I'm playing than it is about the equipment. Like I need to have the right sound concept in mind. But uh, I usually just play a tune <laughs> to answer your question. A ballad melody, and then I might play um, like Donna Lee or something just to see how I can get around. Is it nimble? You know, you gotta play something loud, something soft. You gotta play something in the pedal register. Like can I play like that arrangement that I do of single pedal of a rose, like which connects kind of from the pedal register up to the extreme high register. Um, so I try to try out all those different kind of things. You know, those are the different things that I'm going to have to do when I go to use it in a situation. How would trumpet and sax improvisers change if they also had to tongue everything? It would completely change everything. They wouldn't be able to play what they play, and they would know our pain. <laughs> Steve Teray used to say, um, you try that, but tongue every single note because it would change everything. You know, it changes what you can do. It changes the challenge of the instrument. <laughs> what would you rather listen to? Okay, hypothetical uh, situation here. Michael Brecker sitting in with Louis Armstrong's Hot Five or Louis Armstrong sitting in with Brecker's Quartet and why? I think it would be more interesting to hear Brecker with Louis Armstrong because Brecker has the ability to say, how do I fit into this musical situation? And it would be interesting to see him fit into that musical situation and not play how he quote unquote always plays and to see that restraint I think if we had it the other way around, that the historical context would, you couldn't skip from, I forget what year Pops died, but he missed all of, you know, all of the last 30 years, that's for sure. Um, and so he would not have the ability to even really deal with playing with the Brecker Quartet, you know, like it would just be like not happening. Uh, so I think it would be more interesting to hear Brecker with Louis Armstrong than Louis Armstrong with Brecker, because I just think the the latter would result in just like a like a just a bad situation where it was just like oh that, that he just sounds like a fish out of water, which you know. But I, I think it would be more interesting to see how Brecker could uh, get into the situation of playing with that other band, you know. Like I know Herbie could play like Lil Hardin, but like he could. But would he? It would be really weird. I like thinking this hypothetical situation. This is very interesting. Um, but I don't. I don't know. That's that's my answer, I guess. Do you think it can be dangerous to consistently practice six hours a day, even if your chops aren't feeling bad? I think if they don't feel bad, I think it's fine. I mean, there's always the there's always a um, outside chance of developing an overuse injury. That's true of training for anything. Um, you just have to listen to your body. You know. Listen to your body. If you're taking breaks, I think you're going to be fine. You know, 
if you're playing one hour at a time for six different hours within the day, that's a lot different than playing six hours straight. There's going to be times if you're going to be a musician and you're going to be a freelancer that you might have to play six hours worth of gigs in a day. So it's not unrealistic to say that you have to do that. So you got to take care of your chops. you got to take care of yourself, you know, in general. I think that that's a good place to start. But I wouldn't say necessarily it's bad. All right, I'm going to send you all off on you for a great weekend. Thanks for hanging out today. And uh, we will catch you next week. Take care.